Um, yes, I do. Yes. Yes, I think hell does exist. Um, I'm not sure. Number one, it's a place I do not want to be. It is a eternity of gnashing of teeth and torment. Hell for me probably is the struggles that we deal with here on Earth and the stuff that uh, doesn't seem like it comes easily or the stuff that doesn't seem fair. Uh, maybe some of the, the evil that exists here. For me, that's what hell is. Work, work is hell. It's just too much stuff going on, so I feel like this is a part of hell. You know, it's not like it's burning fire, but we're a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, so. I feel that, like, this is hell. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. There are obviously people that um, that do harm to children and stuff, but it's hard for me to uh, decide that um, maybe they just have some internal struggle that I don't and um, could be forgiven beyond it, which is a difficult place to put yourself in, especially if it happened to one of my kids. But um, I don't know. I don't get to decide that, I guess. I don't think anybody deserves it, but I think certain people um, go. There are those non-believers and those that refuse God, and that's what the place is for. But in my opinion, no one deserves it. There's so many horrendous crimes against children and animals. Those are the people who I want to, to feel the heat, so to speak. People who doesn't do well, their karmas are not good. They go to hell and they're punished by God. Uh, I, I think it's a karma kind of thing. You get what you give. and. If you're cruel and, and an awful person, usually it comes back to bite you. I don't think any soul deserves hell. Unfortunately, if you choose to not um, listen and follow and love, I, I feel like you're doomed. That's the best way I could put it. In that video clip, we saw society has different views on hell, right? Some think that their struggles in life uh, or the pain in their life is hell. Others think that the evil in this world is hell. Uh, one guy thought the idea of having to be enslaved to work is hell. And then some believe that hell is a literal place of eternal punishment. Also addressed in the clip was who deserves to go to hell? We saw that society generally agreed that uh, those who hurt kids or those who do evil things deserve to go to hell. But for the most part, we heard no one deserves to go to hell. Hmm. Today, Randy will be addressing these very questions. What is hell? And then, do non-Christians deserve eternal punishment? So please give your attention to Randy Pope. Well, those are, uh, those are great questions, and, and they're important questions. Isn't it interesting, uh, all the different answers that uh, come to those questions? And so we have to ask ourselves, well, what are the right answers? Are there any right answers? And how do you, how do you know? So uh, we're going to be digging into that one, certainly. But let me review, in case you're here new, uh, maybe even if you've been here, just to give you a, a reminder where we've been. This last week, we addressed the first of four questions that we think are most primary. We first had addressed as an introduction you know, how does a person find life satisfaction, and uh, could it possibly be through Christ? And so uh, now we're addressing the, the big questions that we have to answer to figure that out. And the first one is, if we're going to use the Bible 
as a reference for what we think is, then what makes us think that Bible is accurate? And if it ever was accurate, how could it continue to be today? I'm not going to go back through the information. I hope you'll go online to ifanswersperimeter.org slash ifanswers and, uh, and listen to that if you, if you haven't. But uh, basically, there are several uh, realities, six that we talked about, uh, presumed realities. If they are, that's what we have to figure out in investigating, that uh, people have to know as to why a Christian could say, I believe that it is from God and it's worth listening to and following. Not to say that anybody that I share that information with says, oh, okay, I buy, I'm in with you, I agree with you. No, but at least what it does is it allows people to see that people like myself and others that do believe it don't necessarily shelve their brains to believe it. And that's where most people come from. They think if you're going to believe a Bible that long ago from whoever, whenever, hey, listen, you're just shelving your brain. Well, that's what you have to decide. I hope that you're finding through the few weeks that you've been here, if you're new, I hope you'll find it today. That this is a safe forum. It's, it's not a place that I'm trying to debate and trying to persuade. <clears throat> that really is not my, my in, uh, interest. If, if you have something persuasive that I can't come back to, uh, that doesn't bother me. I go, that's, that's perfectly fine because all I'm trying to do is to help the people who want it to be able to investigate. Here's the theory that I'm coming off of after years and years talking to hundreds and hundreds of people. And that is, if a theist, meaning you believe in God, regardless of what your beliefs of God are, if you are a theist and you have the belief that there could be any percentage chance at all that Jesus could be who he claimed to be, then sometime before we leave this earth, people would want to know they've at least investigated. And so all I try to do is provide a forum for people to be able to investigate. That's all it is. And so you have to decide, what do I think about Jesus? And so we use the C.S. Lewis quote. Uh, he, if, if you're going to be intellectual in your investigation of Christianity, you've got to conclude one of three things. Jesus was a, a liar. He claimed to be God. He knew that he wasn't. Maybe he was a lunatic, he claimed to be God, thought that he was, but if he wasn't, it would make him as a lunatic. Or number three, he's who he claimed to be, Lord of the universe. And so my logic, math major, think through, kind of give me data, logic, and so forth, I say, okay, if I investigate, which I did, if I investigate and I conclude rightly or wrongly, but if I conclude in my best judgment that he's a liar or lunatic, in my opinion, I said, I'd be a fool to follow him. However, if I believed right or wrong that he's Lord of the universe, I'm a fool of fools not to follow him. Why wouldn't I give myself to someone I think is Lord of this universe? So that's the whole idea. And so the first was the Bible. Now, this week we get into the, to the big question, well, what about, though, the, the belief of Christianity, which is a belief of the Christian faith, that people that are Christians end up with God in heaven, and those who are not Christians end up separated from God in hell? Well, immediately we hear that and say, are you serious? 
You're telling me that I should follow a God that allows people to perish in hell? If it's God, can God not stop anybody from having to go to hell? Could God not have chosen that there wouldn't be a hell? There are all kind of questions. Wrapped up in that, we want to address, well, what about the horrible things? Forget hell. What about a God who rules the universe and allows so many tragic, horrific things to happen to children as we hear? Uh, you and me. You know, terrible things happen in our life. How do we answer that? Why? Now, I'm not trying to suggest, well, you hear the answers that I'm going to give to you, you're going to agree with me. No, but I will suggest this. The answers that you hear will represent well the Christian faith, and then you can make the choice of what you believe and follow whatever you want to follow. That's your call. So the goal here is not to try to do whatever we, no. This is simply a forum to help people. Now, in light of that, there are four presuppositions that deal with this question, how can a good God uh, allow people to be separated from him for all eternity? Well, it's very important that we think through this word presupposition. I think most of us know what it means, but uh, just to, to make it clear, pre is before. A supposition, we use the word suppose, I suppose something to be true. I, I can't tell you that it for sure is, but this is my assumption. We use that word. It's a pre-assumption. And what we need to know is that our pre-assumptions will determine what we assume. In other words, we have beliefs that cause us to believe. If I have a presupposition in one direction, I will go to a belief that builds on that belief. If I have a differing presupposition, and that presupposition is totally contrary to that, I'm not going to come to the same conclusion I would come to over here. I'm going to come to a totally different conclusion. So what I like to do is to just offer four presuppositions that most people do not understand are the presuppositions of the Christian's answer and understanding of the Bible as to how you would address this question about good people deserving eternal punishment. So I'll just walk through them. You have some notes, if you'd like to follow, that are in your, uh, on, on your chair there. Um, and we have two questions, one suffering on one side, but this is the one on, on uh, how can God allow good people to be separated from Him for all eternity. But uh, here's the first of four presuppositions. I'll walk through them very briefly. Number one, good people are not necessarily righteous people. It's very important to understand. That is a belief of Christianity, unlike most people probably that were addressing the question on the film here. Good people are not necessarily righteous people. In fact, there are no innocent people. I think of a, a man who, who called me, and uh, I, I know who he is when he calls. And he says... Uh, I'm so-and-so, this is a, uh, a, a noted man in the tennis world, I mean, in the uh, golf world, a professional. And uh, he says, I have heard that you meet to coach men, and uh, it's been helpful to some men I've met and know, and, and uh, I, I would like to know, could I meet with you? Well, being mutual friends of some friends and all, I said, well, of course, I'd love, I'd be happy to meet with you. So we meet over lunch. So we're sitting over lunch, and I'm just getting to know him, and and he says, I need to tell you a little bit of my story, but um, 
as I tell my story, I don't want you to think I'm a bad person because I, 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 I want you to know I, I really am a good person. You need to know that of me. I know you don't know me, but you need to know that. And he said, uh, here, here's my deal. He said, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, and alcohol is going to take my career, and, and it's going to ruin me. I can tell you right now. I see where it's headed. And uh, I have tried and tried and tried to break my problem with alcohol, and, and I, I just can't do it. It's destroying me. But I want you to know I'm a, I'm a good person. I said, okay, good. And he says, secondly, I, I'm having an affair on my wife. She has no idea. But I'm having this affair, and uh, I've got a wonderful wife and, and my family. Oh, what a great family. I, I'm just, I'm blessed. But, but I'm having this affair, and, and she's got me in her clutches. I, I mean, I can't, I can't get away. I mean, I, and I don't want to get away, but I know I need to because I know where it's taking me, and I know it's going to destroy my life but, and my, my career, but... But I, but I do want you to know, I am a good person. I do want you to know that. I said, okay. So after uh, several of his issues that he walked through, and every time, as a parenthesis almost, uh, you know, uh, or a comma coming out, he said, oh, by the way, I want you to know I'm a good person. So then he stops and he says, so what do I do? I am trying so hard to be the person I need to be, but I am just failing. What is wrong with me? I said, well, you know, you're one of the best golfers. I mean, nobody knows, very few people know more golf about golf than you do. Can I ask you a question? I, I said, what I understand about golf, and you tell me whether it's true or false, that there are three things you have to have if you're going to be a good golfer. You've got to have the appropriate grip of the club. You've got to have the right posture over the ball. And you have to get aligned to your target correctly. Now, here's what I want to know. Is it true that if a person had all three of those, they literally had those three perfect, and they held those three throughout the golf swing, but knew nothing about a golf swing, but they went out and they practiced, and they just hit ball after ball, but those three things they kept perfect through the swing, would they become a fairly good golfer? And this pro says, yeah, that's true. I said, I want to ask you, on the other hand, if you had a terrible grip and you had a terrible posture and you had a terrible alignment and you practiced and practiced and practiced, is it true you'd never really become a great golfer? There'd be no way you could become a really, really good golfer. He said, I would agree with that. And I said, you know, the same is true in life. I don't know if you know this, but we have a grip posture in life, and uh, alignment in life. And most people don't even understand that. And they're really trying hard to be better at life, but they can't do it. They just can't do it. I, I said, now, you're an expert. I can't say you're perfect and whatever you say about a grip, posture, and alignment is accurate, but i got a pretty good idea. You know a whole lot more than I do about that. And I probably know a little bit more about life because that's what I do. I help people. I coach people in life to get in a stronger position. And I said, you know, would you want me to check out your grip, posture, and alignment? And he looked at me and he said, yeah. I said, well, let's start with your grip. Your grip is your view of, of yourself. Your alignment, let's just equate that to your view of God and your, uh, and your, or your posture. And then your alignment will be your view of life, the world and life in which you live. And so let me just do this. Can I ask you just to pick one of four answers and that'll help me determine your 
your grip, your view of, of self. So he goes, yeah. And so here's what I did. And because I don't want to, have to take time to erase it, I, I put up on the board, I won't put it up there, but I put up on the board these four. I said, you tell me which you think is accurate. Number one, man is bad. Number two, well, I think I started with good. I said, man is good. Number two, man is good with a little bad. Number three, man is bad with a little good. Or number four, man is bad. Now, I bet you can guess what he said because, and the reason I believe you would is because if I've asked this to X hundred of people, I've gotten the same answer from all, if not all, maybe all but one. And here's what I always hear. Man is good with a little bad. So once he said man is good with a little bad, we got the, oh good, we got it up there. Uh, man is good with a little bad. I just looked at him, I said, gosh, I hate to tell you, but you, you got a really bad grip. You got a bad grip. Because I don't think that would be accurate. I'll put it this way. I can be wrong, but I'll say this. If you want to know what, what the Bible says, what Jesus says, you're going against his belief unless he's wrong. Because he would say, no, man is bad. I went through grip, posture, and alignment. I went through the three. All three, I gave him four options in each one, I went, mm, sorry, you got a bad, you got a bad posture. Oh, sorry, you got a bad alignment. And then I looked at him and I said, do you understand what you're saying? You're saying, I'm trying to get better. And I've got a bad grip, posture, and alignment. But I am swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging and practicing and practicing. I'm trying so hard. But I'm not getting any better. What is wrong with me? And I said, do you know, you would have to change your grip, posture, and alignment, in my opinion, if you wanted to see life begin to make sense. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to start meeting with him and working with him, and he changed his grip, he changed his posture, he changed his alignment. He's still with his family. Things, it's, a different, it's a different story today, no doubt. Well, the same is true. People are trying to figure out life, but they're not working with this. And I think the biggest area of problem is the grip. It's your view and my view of self. So here's what Jesus said. Jesus came along and uh, somebody said, hey, good teacher. And he stopped him in the track. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you call me good? Do you not know there's none good but one? Meaning only God is good. Why would you call me good? Now he's not, he's not denying he's good, but here's what he's saying. You don't think I'm God. Why would you call me good? There's only one that's good. That's God. You look through the scriptures in Romans chapter 3. Uh, that's, it's written, humanly speaking, uh, from a man named Paul. It's written by a man named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, I'll tell you this. In the New Testament, he would be the most, the most famous of all authors. The most uh, numerous books are under his pen. So he would be the premier teacher in the New Testament. If you wanted to take his, uh, his uh, uh, Old Testament uh, counterpart, it would be David. Many of you know of King David, the psalmist David. Well, Paul quotes David, and this is what he says. 
out of the Psalms, what David had read. Now here's what Paul says. He says, there is none good, no, not one. There's none who seek for God, not even one. There are none good, no, not one. Well, there's no doubt what he's saying. In his belief, that writing under inspiration of Scripture, if what we said last week had any merit, then you go, okay, this is what the Bible says, this is what Jesus says, this is what the Old Testament psalmist said, this is what Paul says. Let me tell you, it's, it's, it's just the teaching of Christianity. Now, maybe Christianity is not the right answer. But if you want to know what does Christianity teach and why, it would be, no, there are no good people. In fact, you know there's a term that's used called dead in sin. It says that everybody is dead in sin. Now, dead in sin, I think, is used as the word dead for a reason, because you know what dead is. You can't do anything with dead people. Now, my grandfather uh, started, before I was ever born, uh, he, he started a funeral home, and it was only a, maybe an hour from our house, and he ran a funeral home his entire life till he died. Now, I grew up in the funeral home world because we go visit uh, my, my grandfather and grandmother, and it was, let's go play at the funeral home. There was not a better play place in the world in a funeral home. <laughs> you want to play hide and seek with your brother? Man, you got the embalming room. You've got the casket room. You've got all kinds of places. And so, uh, man, I saw death all the time. Never thought anything about a dead person. Like, yep, there's a dead one. There's a dead one. You know, no big deal. <laughs> I remember my grandfather said one time, I said, would you like to come in and see a man be embalmed? I said, yeah. And, I, and I'm still kind of awed by death. I'm a little kid, and I go, what is this thing, death? And I thought, surely there's some way to, to, to get this person to do something. So I'm standing by the man's arms, which is laying, and, and, and I just looked at my grandfather who wasn't watching, and I pinched this man's arm real hard. And I looked at his eyes, and he didn't budge. And, and then I, I remember, I thought, wow. And I thumped him real hard. And, and, and he didn't budge. And I sat there awed. I went, you know, the truth is, there's nothing I can do to get him awake. He's dead. But you know, from time to time, they bring in somebody like him, who you see a 35, 40-year-old man. He's just died of a heart attack. You look at him and go, how do you know he's not asleep? He looks great. But, you know, then they would bring in somebody who had died maybe two months before in the wooded area. They bring him in, and the stench and the sight is horrific. But then I began to ask the question, which is the most dead of those two? They're equally dead, aren't they? One smelled in a terrible way. The other one had no bad smell. The other one you know, was, looked horrible. The other one looked great, but both dead. Oh, there are people that are moral, moralistic. There are people that are re religious, and, and we look and smell good. But that doesn't mean we're not dead. And that's the teaching of the entire Bible. It's that man is dead in sin. Not wounded, not sick, not ill, just dead. So, that's the first presupposition. Number two presupposition is this. In Christianity, the teaching of the Bible is that everybody has an opportunity. 
spiritually speaking, it's not that some people have an opportunity and some people don't. Everybody has an opportunity. It's found, the teaching is found in Romans chapter 1. If you want to go there and read it sometime on your own, feel free to do that. But here is the problem. People are so misguided as to what Christianity would teach as to why people are guilty. Guilty of what? Because the Bible says if you die without Jesus, you perish. Jesus said that numerous times. Well, maybe he's wrong, but if he's right, how can that be fair? How can it be right? Do you know there are large portions, not majorities, but there are large percentage of people who never hear of Jesus. But here's the wrong presupposition that's being made even by Christians. And that is that people, people are sent to an eternal hell because they rejected Jesus. That's not true. That's not true at all. I will promise you there are people who never, ever, ever hear of Jesus. So really, well, then why would God allow people to perish they never hear of Jesus? Well, here's the reason. Romans chapter 1 in the 18th verse puts it real clear. It, it says this. He said there, not only have we learned there's none righteous, but he said the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Hmm. Do you know what it's saying? Oh, people aren't sent to hell because they, they reject Jesus. In fact, what about this? What if Jesus had never come? Did God owe it to mankind if the Christian record is right? And man has gone against God, has sinned, and God says, because of sin, you must perish. If that be the case, then why in the world would God say, oh, you, you need to know about Jesus. He'd be saying, don't tell people about Jesus if it's because it's just rejecting Jesus. Uh, people perish because they suppress the truth of God, not Jesus, but of God. And we go, I don't want God to rule me. I don't want God to rule me. And it's upon that basis. Otherwise, it would have been not by grace God given us what we don't deserve, which is the story of Christianity. It would be the story of justice. This is why God gave Jesus. He had to to be fair. No. Had he never sent his son, the record of Christianity would say people would perish, all people would perish, but it would be fair. It's not unfair not to show grace. It is unfair to be unjust. So there would be no injustice. It's, that's why Christianity is a, is a faith of grace. So in light of that, very important to understand that people innately do know about God. Now, there are those who say they're atheists. I may be wrong on this. I personally don't believe there's such a thing as an atheist. I really don't. I've never met somebody that I became convinced truly is an atheist. Agnostic, yes. Agnostic is someone who says, I'm not sure if there's a God. An atheist says, there is no God. What percentage are you sure? 100%. There is no God. So I'm dealing with someone who is an atheist. I said, are you really an atheist? Yes, I am an atheist. So there's no chance that there's a God. No chance. Okay. 
So I said, can I share with you, would you mind if I took a few minutes and shared some prayers that I have prayed lately that have been answered in my opinion, and this is what's happened after I've prayed? Yeah, go ahead. So I shared. And I said, how do you think all that happened? You don't think God was involved? This person said, nope. Stranger things happen. I can't explain it, but stranger things happen. I said, okay. I said, then I know then this is not going to bother you when I'm going to start doing on your behalf. This person said, what are you going to do? I said, oh, I'm going to start praying. But what I want to do to help you understand this, I'm going to pray that all hell breaks loose in your life. I, I'm, I'm not going to have you die in my prayers, but I'm going to have you get to that point. I'm going to have people that you really do love that they do die. And I'm not going to do this, obviously. But I told this person, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that loss of income, loss of, and I'm start telling all the things I'm going to be praying for this person. And this person literally without thought said, please don't do that. Don't do that. And I just sat back and I said, so at least you believe there is some chance there's a God. Because you wouldn't care if I prayed that. Does that mean there are no atheists? No. That's just my opinion. But see, from what I understand, God designed us in such a way as the design that we would innately know there was a designer. And we push against it. We don't want to believe it because we don't want somebody lording our life, telling us how to live, particularly a religious life that may be different than what we want. No, no, I don't want to believe it. So very important just to understand that. I'll say this. According to the Bible, those who desire God will hear ultimately of Jesus. The teaching is that light given to someone, light meaning the ability to understand, who receives the light that is given in creation and beyond, anybody that receives that light, God will give more light. So I've been to a lot of countries of the world, a lot of Mid-Eastern countries, been to uh, Iraq, I've been to Iran, I've been to Egypt, I've been to a lot, and, 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 and let me tell you what, going underground where you can talk to Christians, you can talk to Christians in Egypt, other places you've got to be very careful, but, but going to underground, Christian after Christian, you can't, I can't tell you the numbers of stories. I mean, they're amazing. How did you become a Christian? How did you ever hear? And you hear it over and over and over. I'm not going to prove this without bringing these people here, so there's not going to be any proof. But I'm telling you, this is true. Dreams and visions. Oh, I had a dream, and I met this man, and eventually to be known as Jesus. And oh, my goodness. Overwhelming. Blah, 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 blah. And then this happened, and then I learned about this, and I began to find, and then I became a Christian. Well, God, according to the Bible, will make it known if someone says, I'm not going to resist that truth of God. I'm not going to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Then that's the people who understand and who hear. So the idea that people don't have an opportunity, I, I really don't think that is true. I will say connected to that one issue that we're talking about, everybody has an opportunity. There's something in you and me that says it doesn't seem fair that us Americans, we get all this information. We can go to church free right here. We can hear something like investigative forum. And these people, they don't get the opportunity we get, even if they get an opportunity. And that's really true. But Jesus wanted to make sure we didn't get messed up on that one. So in, in uh, the book of Matthew chapter 20, 
In Matthew chapter 20, he gives us a parable, and it's the parable of the workers. Here's how it goes. Be new to a lot of you. It says that there was one who owned a, 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 a let's call it a, a, a ranch, and he needed some help. Or maybe it was a farm, and he needed, but he goes out and he hires these people at, at nine in the morning. And, and he says, or at six in the morning, he says, if you'll work till five, I'll give you 20 bucks. And then about nine in the morning, he says, whoops, you know what? We don't get this work done. Hey, I need some more workers. Would you come in and would you work till five o'clock? I'll give you 20 bucks at noon. Hmm, might need a few more. Would you come in? I'll give you 20 bucks if you work till five at about two or three o'clock. Hey, I'm still needing a few more workers. Can you come in? I'll give you 20 bucks if you work till five o'clock. So everybody comes to get paid. And all of a sudden, the people that came at nine or at six, they begin to see these guys that came at 12 or three or whatever going, whoa, ho, ho, ho. And what do they say? That's not fair. That's, you did not treat us the same. Do you know what Jesus responds in that parable to say? He says, whoa, did I do anything that was unrighteous, that was, that was wrong in the sense that didn't I do exactly what I told each person I would do? I was just in everything I did. I, I, so he says, you, you can't say that. So I'm, I, I would take my little kids uh, when they were young. I'd take them out on a date. I'd just rotate them each week, and I'd take them out on a date night. We'd do something fun. I'd buy them what they'd wanted. We'd just had a good time and so forth. And so one of my kids, my older kids, uh, my oldest son, I was taking him out. And so we have three little ones younger at that time than him. And so we're getting ready to go in. He says, hey, Dad, can, can, I, have, can I have some ice cream before we go home? I say, are you kidding me? No way. I said, if we walked in the house and we got to go straight home now, it's getting bedtime. And if we came in and that ice cream wouldn't be finished yet and, and, and the other kids see that ice cream, they're going to go crazy mad. You know, we're not going to do that. And then all of a sudden I went, hmm, no, let's go get some ice cream. But here's the condition. You can't finish it before we get home. Okay. So we walk in the house. Perfect plan. Oh, boy, where's our ice cream? I said, I didn't get you any ice cream. What? Well, you got him some ice cream. I know I did. That was a lot of fun. We had a great time. <laughs> well, that's not right. You didn't get us any ice cream. And I said, oh, really? Let me think through this just a minute. Huh. I'm the king of the popes. And let me get Queen Carol here. Queen, come over here a minute. I said, let's discuss the Pope of the laws, of the laws of the Pope. Uh, the law of the popes. Uh, was there anything in there? Get ice cream for one, you get it for all. She says, "I don't think so, King Pope." <laughs> and I said, "Queen Pope, I think we we got our decision then." I said, "Kids, we don't have to get ice cream for all if we give ice cream to one. We've been fair. There's no injustice. You just didn't get what you wanted. I understand that. Well, I was just trying to make the point." It's true in life as well. God says, I will be just to all. And I will show mercy, unusual mercy, unusual grace to some. That does not mean that it's unfair. Go to number three. The, three, the third presupposition. God does not deal only with individuals. I'll tell you this. If I am a seeker and I am confused about Christianity and I want to figure this thing out, this would be the charge that I would level upon the Christian. I'd say, wait just a minute. What you're telling me is, if Christianity is true, that I am in the mess of sin, 
because there was a foreparent, call them Adam and Eve, whoever you want, but there, were that, there was that one before, and because of the sin of that one, now I get the rap of the original parent, in this case, Adam. Is that what you're saying? Well, that is the truth of Christianity, but here's what you need to know. That is the best news that you and I could ever have. Everybody thinks that's mean, it's unfair, it's wrong. No, 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 no. Let me put it this way. In the Western world, we're, for the most part, Westerners. We have Easterners here with us, but perhaps been in the West a long time, or maybe where they've come from is now, in these latter years, been so influenced by the thinking of the West that we all think individualistic. We're very individualistic people in America. If you go back historically, and particularly to a Semitic people, as the Bible is coming out of a Semitic people, uh, different nations, but, but, but Semitic, and, and you take the Eastern mindset forever and ever was not individualistic. It was pluralistic. It was a sense of which there was a corporate personality in the Eastern world. For instance, do you know in some countries, and probably still to this day in a few places, but there, not too long ago, if somebody hired someone to work and found out that you, the person hired, has a sibling who's unemployed in need of work, there would be an automatic obligation to hire that person who they don't even need as an employee, but because you must do it, because you can't divide someone like that. You, you put them together. It's called corporate personality. You can't read very far through the Bible before you're going to see in the Old Testament, you're going to see corporate personality. And when you see it, it doesn't feel good, not to an individualistic, Western-minded person. But for instance, probably the most explicit illustration is Achan in the Old Testament. Here's the story, if you don't know it. You've got the Israelites, and they're being led by their commander at that time, is a guy named Joshua. And God says through Joshua, I want you to take this particular city that are people that are against me, and I want you to go into that city and take that city. It's called Jericho. Many have heard the song about the walls of Jericho, the battle of Jericho. Well, this was the battle. And he says, here's the problem. You're going to have a bigger city, fortified like crazy. There's no human way you can win this war but I'm going to show my hand, you go fight. And they walked around the walls, the walls fell in, and so forth and so on. They win this incredible battle. Well, immediately when that's over, God says, now, Joshua, I want you to go to this little town down here, just down the plain from um, Jericho, and I want you to take this little city of Ai. And, and it's not many people, not many warriors, and so forth, and I want you to, to take them. And so they go down there, and they get whipped by this little army that has no opportunity, humanly speaking, to win, and they win. And so, I mean, Joshua and his troops come limping back, and Joshua goes before God and says, God, what happened? We, you know, we take Jericho, but we can't take Ai? What, what happened? He said, oh, it's because there was, there's sin in the camp of Jericho. What do you mean? He said, well, just come out get the people all together, and so he instructed them when and so forth to come out, and he gets all of Israel. Israel, you should know, is made up of 12 tribes. And so he brings all the people out, and he says, you 11 tribes, you're dismissed. He kept one tribe. 
The tribe is made up of clans. So he takes all the clans and he says, you're all free to go but this one clan. Clan is made up of families. Families being more than just a mother, father, but just full family. So here are these full families. And he says, you families can go, but this family here, you stay. And there's one of you in the family. Your name is Achan. And you took spoils. And I said, take none. You took gold and silver and all kind of stuff. You buried it in your tent. And therefore, you must die. And oh, by the way, your whole family. Can you imagine, let's say that Achan has a, a, a cousin named Levi that he hates. Levi hates him. And he doesn't know anything about the hidden treasure. And he said, whoa, 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 God, you said you're going to kill me because of what Achan did? Oh, I would have ratted on him for sure. I hate the guy. I'd love to see him killed. But not me. I didn't have nothing. I didn't even know. Uh-uh. You're part of the family. And what happens when you and I hear that? We go, that's not fair. Because you didn't do anything, and he did, and you're suffering because of what he did? I didn't write. But let me give you a different mindset here. Imagine the world in its story of creation and the families that came along, beginning with Adam and working right down into Jesus. The lineage, we have a genealogy all the way taking it down. You take that storyline there, and you take that storyline, and then you say, all right, let's assume there's no corporate personality. We see the way the Bible reads, and you can read this in Romans 5, that he is the head, he's the representative, Adam is the representative of all mankind that came after him. And it says this, okay, let's say there's no corporate personality. Then Adam, whatever you do, and we know you sinned, so you have to perish forever. But let's say you have a child, and you have a child that does not sin, which is not going to happen, frankly, because can you imagine you living your whole life without sin? But let's just say, okay, that he did not sin, or she did not sin. So they get to go to heaven, they live forever. And then this one, oh, he doesn't. I mean, he does sin, he perishes. Well, the truth of it is, I think we'd be right where we are today, because everybody would probably sin before they die at some point. They're going to sin. And so all perish and have no hope. But because of corporate personality, the Bible teaches that Jesus is called, and listen to this, the second Adam. Just like Adam represented human mankind, Jesus represent, represents spiritual mankind. And says anybody over here who has failed, which is everybody, everybody has the right, if they choose, they can come into this family and immediately upon coming into this family, they're made as righteous as Jesus. That's why if you get around pure Christianity, meaning it's real, the real story, you hear it's not just, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus, I'll be better. No. It's that we realize we can't follow Jesus on our own. We can't be better, and therefore God has to make us righteous. And he does something in our heart. And then even though we still sin, God looks on us as he looks on Jesus as if we had no sin whatsoever because we're under the second Adam. So all of us are under the first Adam. Some of us who become Christians would say we're under the first Adam in the sense of we're human, but we're under the second Adam in that we've been made into his family. So that's the, that's the teaching of the Christian faith. You may not agree with it. You may think it's too far and well, that's fine. 
but at least you know this is what the Christian faith does teach. Last uh, presupposition is a, a, a much more simple one, and it simply goes like this. It says, God would not be righteous if sinful people were not punished. In other words, God would have to lie if he didn't punish people because this is what he said from the beginning. He said, if you sin, you will die. How many buddies of mine I've known that argue with me say, all right, I'm telling you this. When I get to heaven, I know I've screwed up and I'm not doing good and I'm not following God and I'm not all that, but I'll tell you this. I am persuasive. <laughs> and when I get to, uh, when I meet God, if there is a God and I meet that God, I'm going to talk him in and let me in. I will. I'll find a way to get in. I said, well, you know what would have to happen? God would have to lie to do that, and he'd have to give up his perfection in order because he said, no, if you, plural, all creation, if you sin, all humanity, you will die. So he would no longer be the perfect God. So that's to give you the answers to that. If you'll, look your, if you'll take your, your little sheet out, I'm not going to take time to walk through this, but I'll, I'll show it to you where it says uh, why God allows bad things to happen to good people. And what I'm going to do is contrast the two uh, rabbis, Rabbi Kushner and his belief, which you can read about it there. Many of you are familiar with his book. Um, uh, what's the title of it? It just goes blank. Why bad, things uh, why bad things happen to good people, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, uh, th that's a summary of, of what the perspective is. And then you can see, well, uh, who are good people? We've walked through that already. But you have to also address what are bad things. So you ought to read the three things that God loves. And it's all based on a little statement by uh, Johnny uh, Erickson Tata. She is a quadriplegian, if you know the, the story of her life. And she says this, God allows, God allows bad things to happen to accomplish good things in your life. Puts it this way. God hates, he ordains what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It's a great statement. And so, well, what does he love more than keeping us out of pain? And you can read those three from her perspective and others. And then the the, uh, the true rabbi's perspective at the end. So you can take that and read that on your own, okay? You may want to ask some questions about that. Now, in light of that now, I want to move to the second phase. If you're new with us, we do this. We have a first phase, which is address the big question of the day. I'll say this, maybe next week. I'm going to maybe do something I've never done. I may address the last two questions in one day and save the last week to something special that I've never done. We, but I'm not even going to say it because I may not do it. But if I can get the both questions next week, what about other religions? How about Jesus? How can we believe he's the only way to God? What about other religions? And next week, talk about what does Jesus say is required to have eternal life? If I can work that into all next week, then I want to use the last week for something special. But we'll see. But uh, what we do now is we, we walk through very quickly a few of the questions in your Bible that you have been given in the Gospel of John, right? And I'm going to work through those just real fast, not all of them, but the ones that I think are important, and then we open it for the rest of the time to questions. So number one question is, is actually number 10 in our, uh, this week. Uh, what does God mean, what does Jesus mean when he says he is the bread of life? 
And I want you to understand when Jesus is asked, what does it mean when he says, I am the bread of life? This is what he means. He means that he is the one and only one who can satisfy. You see, if you and I are hungry and we're starving, there's nothing that means as much to us than just bread. Give me something that represents something to eat. I don't care if you can give me a million dollars or you can give me something to eat. I'm about to die. Give me something to eat. That's the most important thing. He says, I'm the most important thing. I love to share the story in kind of a little fourfold statement. It's called the story of glory. And this story, I shared the story of glory in the first week, didn't I? I think I did that. That would fit in right here, the story of glory, as uh, if you were here week one. Let's go to number uh, 13. Jesus taught that to be his disciples meant to follow his word. What does it mean to hold to his teaching? I want to say this to you that are seekers trying to just evaluate and determine. You're going to get really misled by people who call themselves Christians. Not because of what they say, maybe, but because of the way they live. And what many, many, many who are in churches today, including this church, plenty of them, I'll tell you, their thought is this. Okay, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm, I'm, one, of the, I'm one of his. I, I'm a Christian. And then Jesus comes along in multiple occasions in the questions that we have noted. You will see questions that are asking the same thing as this question. Well, what does it mean to be a follower? Well, I want you to hear this real simple seeker, a, a real follower. I mean, the real deal, not just the, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not, I'm not Buddhist. I'm not whatever. I'm not Muslim. I'm, I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. But a real Christian. Do you know what the one thing that is an absolute to be a follower of Jesus? You have to follow. Pretty simple, isn't it? But you know, there are plenty of people today that says, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, and I don't follow him, but I am a follower. And I go, uh-uh, shame on you. Just, just don't even call yourself that because a follower follows. Well, that raises this question, doesn't it? So to what degree and to what, anybody perfectly follow Jesus? I don't, you don't, none of us do. What does it mean to follow? Well, if I were to put a point, a space, and I were to say, okay, here is, here's Jesus over here. So I'll put a J. There's Jesus and, and here's Randy right here. Now, if I'm going to follow Jesus, it means that I cannot go this direction to follow him. Would you agree? That's not a follower. Oh, I'll do what I want to do. Well, I, right now, Jesus wants me to go this way, but I want to go that way. I think I'll just go that way because that feels better. I enjoy it more. It makes more sense. It's logical for me, blah, blah, blah. It's the immediate gratification of my feelings. So I'll just go that way. Well, that's not a follower. A follower, though, may well do this. This is Randy, me, my story. I don't, I don't follow perfectly, but I'm going toward him, and, and I feel bad about it. I move back, and I move this way, and then I might move this way, and I come this way, and I'm, I'm following him. I'm going this direction. Now, there are people that follow a lot better than I follow, and, and they probably look more like this, you know? That, that's been a, it's still a follower, some are more faithful in their following, but the reality is they really are following. So just remember, there is the requirement to be a follower that we follow, and we hate when we realize we're not following. The next question, if you look down to uh, 
uh, number uh, 14. What does it mean to be free? I want you all to get this, Seeker, because freedom is not what most of us think we are, is not what most of us think we're going after. We think freedom is license. Oh, God, don't put me under your rule. I don't want to have to follow and obey you because then I don't get to do what I want to do. I want to be free. No, 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 that's not freedom. That's license. License is the opportunity to do whatever I choose to do. Freedom is the ability to do what we know we should do. That's real freedom. It's really more like power. And I love to think of the uh, personification of a train. It's going up a, a steep mountain, and it's having to chug a lug all up and down, and it circles the mountain going higher, and says, this is the most boring thing. Oh, my goodness, and we've got to keep going and finally get up to the top, and now say, okay, now we've got to go back down. How boring is this going to be? And the train says, oh, forget that. I want to be free. So he jumps off the tracks. He points straight down and says, let's go. And what happens initially? Woo! This is fun. Boom, 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 boom. And then it starts rocking and it flips and then it starts breaking up and, and it destroys itself. Well, freedom is the ability to stay on the tracks that get us where we really need and want to go. That's really what freedom is. Look at the next question. In, uh, on John, in John 8, uh, 38, it says, The Jews of Jesus' day certainly had a strong belief in God. Did Jesus accept such a belief to be sufficient? And the answer is, no, he didn't believe it was sufficient. Now, maybe Jesus is wrong. Then, no issue. If Jesus is right, though, and the main thing I want you to understand is just as you investigate, what did Jesus say in case you think he is God? You want to go back to follow what he says. The next question says in, in number 16, uh, what did uh, Jesus mean when he said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And the word I am is a, a verb form of being. And he's saying, I've always existed. So when people say to me, Randy, Jesus didn't claim to be God. I say, no, 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 I'll show you multiple, multiple, multiple ways that he claims to be God. This is one of them. He says, I've always existed, even before Abraham. If you come to the next question, uh, number 17, last one I'll look at. What does, what does Jesus mean when he said, I am the gate for the sheep? And all he's saying there is the gate is the way of entrance. Uh, the people are the sheep, and if you want to enter into the presence of God, you have to enter through him. So we're going to see a bold claim next week that's going to be the, maybe one of the single most important questions that we'll answer in John. And that's where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is Jesus speaking. No one comes to the Father but through me. And that one needs some addressing. So that's next week. Is Jesus really who he claimed to be? Why would we believe that he, among all other people, could possibly be God? So that's what we'll look at. Now, we close our time with a, uh, a time of Q&A. We have 15 minutes, just what we wanted. Uh, we like to take the last 15 minutes and say, what are some questions? You can go online and hear the questions that have been asked. Uh, you've got uh, a way here. You can look on this. You can be texting or emailing questions that will go to the booth that then we'll feed up here. Uh, I don't know the questions. Some of the questions, if we don't get any here, we'll take some from last week or two that we weren't able to answer. But, uh, again, the goal is not to 
uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that I can answer any question. I, I, there are a lot of questions. We, we were driving here, Carol, my wife. She said, well, are you ready for if? And, uh, and I said, yeah, I guess so. And she said, man, I, I can't be there because I have to such, such at nine. I'm going to be in the worship at, at 1045. And I, I really wish I, I want to be there. And I said, well, why? You know, you've heard all this. You know, well, why, why do you, you want to be there? And she says, well, I, I just want to make sure hear a few answer the questions you know and you know does that bother you and I said no not a bit she said why not I said because I'm gonna get asked questions I don't have the answer to and I'll say I don't know and that's not hard for me because there's a lot of stuff I don't know but I'm just trying to help I represent Christianity fairly well and therefore just want to but I can do this I can research if you ask a question that I don't know the answer to I'll try to get the better uh, get the answer you know next week if I can at the same time I'm going to answer some questions. You're going to say, if that's the best you can do, forget it. And I say, good, that's your call. You want to decide, do you want to forget it or do you want to follow? That's, that's the whole idea. So all that to say, this is a time only for seekers to ask. If you're here and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I know I am, and I'm not really, a- I just want to, I got a tough question I want to hear answered. This is not the forum. Please, for the sake of our guests, don't do it. Because I bet we'd rather go home a little early than have to mess with that. So this is for us that are our our guests here, okay? So if no questions, we can call it at any time. But I'm going to open it uh, first to the floor. I'm going to start this week with the floor, and then we'll go to the the board back there. for Anybody have a question you'd like to ask from the floor? Start with that. Anybody? All right. No question? Let's, oh, no, one in the back. Okay. referenced um going towards jesus versus away how do you actually know someone's going towards jesus good question you're going toward jesus if you are following his word see we have a record of truth as we believe now that's why we looked last week is the bible truth or not you know that's the big question is it or is it not but the christian belief says the bible is the record of truth and that speaks who God is last week. Remember when we asked the question, you know, why is Jesus called the Word? He really is the Word of God. And you heard the answer to that. Well, we have the living Word, Jesus, and we have the written Word, the Bible. And those two are totally connected in agreement. And so how do you know if you're following Jesus? You follow His Word. And again, last week we dealt with my word and what that means. But uh, that, would be the, that would be the reality. You just you have to follow the Bible or what he says, right? That would be following. What if the Bible doesn't say? Is it following Jesus? If you're doing something that Jesus doesn't even, or the Bible never even, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Good, go with it. But if you're going against the scripture, you're going away from Jesus, all right? Let's take one from the, uh, from the uh, questions in the past. Why would God create billions of people knowing they would not accept Jesus and therefore spend eternity in hell? All right, I answered that last week, and I don't want to be too repetitive. Uh, I know I just don't want to keep running over the same things, but uh, in case that person's not here then or whatever, I'll just quickly say this. Do you, this was the answer I gave about if you knew somebody who was gracious, uh, I mean, who was uh, uh, brilliant, who was wise, 
who was, and you just go on and on saying, wow, what an amazing person. We'd say, wow, I'm going to give that person glory. I'm going to really lift them up because, wow, they're the number one athlete in their field. They're the number one actor in Hollywood. They're the number one, wow, how gifted, how wonderful. My, I'm going to give them great glory or applause. Well, on the other hand, what if there was somebody who was very everything this person was, but in a relationship to you, showed kindness when you didn't deserve it, showed mercy, given us not what we deserve, given us grace. Mercy is God not giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy or, or grace, God giving us what we don't deserve. What if he did all of that? Which one would get the most glory? Well, this one right here. But when you understand the single reason for God's creation is to bring him glory. Well, which would bring greater glory? And I made this observation. If God had never forgiven mankind, if God had just had a mankind that was without sin, every person couldn't sin, would, would God be known as a God of forgiveness? And the answer is no. No one would ever see God's forgiveness. Would he be known as a God of grace? No, there would never have been grace shown. No need for grace. Would there be any mercy? No, there would be no mercy. But then the question, well, would God nevertheless, though not known as such, would he be a God of grace? Yeah. Would he be a God of mercy? Yes. Would he be a God of forgiveness? Yes. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, regardless of what happens. So in other words, if his intent is to get glory, what an ingenious plan. And to allow people to choose, do you want me or do you not? And him show the grace to receive, the mercy to receive. So that's the, that's the basic thought behind that one. I'm assuming there's no more question, but anytime, I want you to raise your hand. Maybe something comes up because I'd, I'd much rather take you here knowing you are here. These people that ask these questions may not even be here, so I don't know. Any others? All right. Let's, huh? Okay. Good. This is our morning. So let's see the next one. Will racist, prejudiced, or hypocrite, uh, hypocritical people go to heaven? Gosh, I sure hope so because... I am certainly not what would be called a racist or one that says, oh, I'm a, a person of prejudice or I'm a hypocrite. I would, I, would, I would pray my life that those words would never be used to describe me. And I think of myself as none. But you know there's got to be issues of my heart that have to include to some degree those things. And, and I say this, people who go to heaven I'll put it this way I had a man who asked me a question in one of our forums this has been a few years ago and we were in here and he was sitting about in the corner over there and I'd say he's in his mid-50s and he got up and he said are you telling me that my dad who had to have been the most wonderful human being that I've ever met in my life I mean, I'm telling you, this guy, he was something else. He just died just a, a few months ago. And if he were here today and listening to you, he'd say, I am not a Christian. So he would agree he was not a Christian. Now, are you telling me that today he's perishing in hell forever? And at the same time, if there were a person who is a, a child molester 
uh, you know, a, a murderer, whatever, and this person becomes a real Christian. I mean, not just says he is, but what you think Christianity really became a Christian an hour before his execution. Are you telling me that that guy would be in heaven and my dad would be perishing? Is that what you're telling me? Well, I happen to have a father who I'm not judging his heart. I'm just saying from the observation I made would not be a Christian. He's passed away. And I was able to relate. He had just died, you know, not too long before. I said, I, I live with that anguish and understanding of that. I know that. But I do want you to know this. That my job is to say this is what Christianity, and we have to make our judgment on it. But know this, if you think that it's because your dad was good that he should be in heaven, or you think this man was bad so he shouldn't be, think of the man on the cross next to Jesus. He was a thief. He was, he was one of the worst of the scoundrels of the day in the Roman world. And Jesus looks over to him when his heart changes and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I said, the main thing to understand is, hey, we're all that same condition. It's not that, oh, some people are these people, they shouldn't. Do you know how hypocritical that is to think? And people who say, oh, I, I'll go to heaven. Why? Oh, I think I'm good enough. Should these people go to heaven? No, they're not good enough. Let me tell you, we got a bad view of ourselves because we don't understand just how bad all of our hearts are, right? Who's gone without lying? Yeah, put it this way. Have you ever lied before? Yeah, I have. Have you ever stolen anything? A pencil, pen, have you ever stolen anything? Yeah. All right, we already know that you're a liar and a thief. Let's keep going. Have you ever had, have you ever had lust for somebody that, uh, of, the, uh, of the opposite sex or lust of the same sex? Have you had any lust for somebody else? And uh, Yeah, okay, you're an adulterer. You know, if you're married, you're you know, if, if you're single, then, then you're a fornicator right there. Because Jesus said, oh no, if you lust in your heart, it's the same as, as in life. You've already committed adultery. If you lust for another woman, you're married. What? So we're all those things. Get, remember this? Some smell a lot worse than others, but all are dead. Don't forget that. So these people, well, they stink, but I'm still dead outside of what Jesus does. So that's just a, a way to understand that. All right, you want to do another? We got, we got any more? Bill? Oh, it's already up there. Is there a purgatory? Well, I, you know, you're asking me, is there a purgatory? I'm going to tell you what Christianity says. I, I don't say there's not because it doesn't make sense to me or whatever. I just say according to the Bible and the Christian faith historically, I know there are some out of the Christian faith who have believed that. But if you know the history to the belief of purgatory, it makes you far less likely to embrace it. The Bible does not teach purgatory. There are some that have taken the Bible and added this, that, and the other, but not the historical biblical teaching of the Bible. But purgatory really came about uh, through a design of those that were in the authority of church, at church in its worst state, and the idea was that we need to build great cathedrals, we need a lot of money, and there is a way, if we created penance that you have to pay, you can pray and pay money for people who have died, and they're in a holding place, and if you give enough money, then they'll be released and will be able to go into heaven. Well, 
there was a, 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 a through, in history during that time, there was a word that says at the drop of every coin given to penance, there was a release of someone to heaven. Well, I think you can see where that's going. That, that's, not, that's not part of the Christian faith at all. Jesus never, ever talked about a purgatory. Nobody who wrote scriptures uh, in, the, in the Bible, the canon as we know it, 66 books, nobody talks about it. So I would say it's not part of the Christian faith, historic. Okay? Let's see if there's another one. If not, we'll call it quits. Yep. Why does God allow, okay, we've already hit that one. Why does God allow bad things to happen? Because he loves. God allows things he hates to accomplish what he loves. And if you'll read through the, the insert, I think you'll see some of those things he loves so much, even more. Any others? That it? That got it today? Oh, wait, one more. If he loves us, uh, why doesn't he just forgive everyone? Well, we keep in mind, he offers forgiveness to everyone. I don't know if any, how many of you are parents. Have you ever had a problem with your children loving you? And no, it's, it's not an issue of whether you love them. You love them whether they love you or not. But that doesn't make them choose to love you. That's, that's the free, but you certainly desire love for them to love you, but they may not. And so that's, that's important just to know. He, he offers his love to everybody. All right. Um, that's it. All right. I think we're about at our time anyway. Yep, it is. All right. What we're going to do next week, keep in mind, read through John a little bit every day, keep going. And I hope you'll kind of this time, because I may go all the way through, read through the rest of John. That will not hurt all. Just read through the rest of John, 10 chapters. If you can only get the next five, that's okay. Actually, there's 11 chapters left because there's 21 chapters. Read through John. Keep reading, look for the answers if you're investigating. And then next week, I may bring the last two questions here. And then I'll tell you what I'm going to do the next week if we're able to do that. I'm, I'm not sure I can get all that in or not. I'm going to try to figure it out, but we'll see. All right. So uh, thank you for coming. Let me pray and we'll let you be dismissed. I want to pray for you, Father. Uh, for those of us here who are, are truly seeking and wanting to get answers to the Christian faith. I pray we would at least be able to leave this place, uh, whether we change our views or not, be able to say, I have had the opportunity now to investigate Christianity. And I pray that you would take us to, if you're God, if you're real, if we're talking to you and you hear this now because you're real, then we're gonna ask you, would you work in hearts now to turn our attention to see your love and may that love overwhelm us where we fall in love with you. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.